0: The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting the child leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the holy spirit by the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: I speak in the name of God, who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Have you ever jumped for joy? Literally. I'm sure almost everyone here has, maybe at least for a big touchdown or basket or such, but at best, for good news from a loved one. Now, this is a bit of a soapbox for me. Many of us in the West are still caught up in an enlightenment fallacy, that emotions or feelings are there, these ethereal ghosts of things that just pass through us. And people of reason and decorum at least, don't let themselves be troubled by such insubstantial vapors. Not where anyone can see us, anyways. But it's not true. Emotions are physical and embodied things, like great wells of potential energy waiting to break out into the world kinetically, if kept pent up or simply strong enough in the moment. In our Gospel passage today, Our Lady is a bearer of the sort of joy that makes one jump. The Archangel Gabriel has announced that Elizabeth and Mary both would be bearing unexpected children. Zechariah was struck mute, gentlemen, take note, and after running his mouth, and Joseph is wisely staying quiet. Mary has gone to visit her cousin, who is both older and farther along, appropriately enough for John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who will prepare the way for Mary's child. And when she walks in and greets her cousin, John leaps in the womb. Georgie, my daughter, was pretty relaxed before she was born. She didn't kick too much, Allie tells me, and it was more of a gentle kneading with her feet. The first time I felt her move, it was like a butterfly kiss, or like the lightest wiggling of catching tadpoles with your bare hands. My heart certainly leapt for joy that day and has most days since, with this beautiful new life that has come into our lives and so enlivened them. Now Elizabeth gets some additional insight from the Holy Spirit for her specific case. She prophesied just protesting something she ate, but leaping in joy, not just for new life, but for the Lord of life, entering the world. Blessed is she who believed, Elizabeth says, and Mary sings her brave song, her Magnificat, which we too sang as our canticle today. Luke then notes Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months before returning home, but he leaves out any details of those three months. Mary was so young, she must have been asking Elizabeth to share her wisdom as her elder cousin. They must have both joined in on speculating what being a mother for the first time would be like. Maybe Mary was helping care for Elizabeth as she approached full term. And maybe it was better for Mary to be away from her community at that time, since she wasn't technically yet married to Joseph. I am certain that they were both pondering all the things in their hearts. Hopeful expectation, wonder, and fear and anxiety side by side that hope as well. It was a scary time, a scary world, especially for peoples on the edge of Rome's mighty empire. There were wars, famines, bandits, all the regular dangers of the day, the risks of birth, and first century healthcare. These were real things despite Mary's great faith. And if not even being the mother of God protected her from life's hardships, I don't know why it surprises me still when sorrows and suffering rear their heads in my life and those I care about, but somehow it still does. Our Lady is also a bearer of sorrows, and that's important. Anytime we hear stories of special and miraculous births, not unlike hearing stories of healings, of the blind, the deaf, and the lame. While there are lessons to be learned and faith to be practiced, there are those, often ourselves, who have unhealed aspects in our own lives, those who have faced unimaginable loss and who haven't had those same prayers met in the way that we would want. And there's no easy answer for that. I have friends who have struggled with infertility, and these joyous stories of the season are still sometimes hard for them to hear. Miscarriage has also been a part of my and Allie's story, and that strange and quiet grief is hard to share out loud, although it's an experience I know is shared by many. Mary is special to priests. She was the first to be able to say of Jesus, this is my body, this is my blood. She is also, though, an exemplar for all disciples, not in perfection, but in her humanity. The same girl who sung Magnificat, who was living amidst the bloody Pax Romana and could still say in past tense that God has cast down the mighty and scattered the proud, such was her faith and the sense of God's lifting up the lowly, the hungry, including and especially her own self. And yet, of course, she would also be washed away in heartbreak as she eventually watched her son die under the weight of the sins of the world. Whatever she knew or didn't know about what might happen next and how God might fulfill those promises that God made. It's still a scary world to bring a child into even if the hospitals are better. I don't know, maybe I talk about this too much, but as sharp as my joy with Georgie now in my life is, my fears and anxieties are also sharper. And I still regularly wonder and worry about this world that we've brought her into. Tornadoes in December, political turmoil and what seems like regression, disparity, discord, and a seeming embrace of Pilate's cynical question, what is truth? Children being accidentally left home alone, having to defend their home against robbers. What a world. And yet, I take comfort. I take comfort remembering that that's how it's always been these past 2000 some years as we approach Christmas. Thanks be to God, it has remained since the very first as hard or hopeful a place as it may find us A season celebrating yes. God's yes to us, despite ourselves, despite so often our no to God, our no to each other. Mary's yes in the Annunciation, just a few verses before our passage, celebrated as a feast, of course, back in March. Our Lady is finally a bearer of hopeful expectation. There are few promises in this world and in this life, but there is God's faithfulness to an unwed Jewish peasant girl in first century Palestine and to any of us who hear her glad song today. It's a risky thing. It's a brave thing. It makes us even more vulnerable to say yes, to say I hope, to say I'll try. And yet, time and again, friends, in life, in our stories of scripture, in the lives of the faithful, I think that's where hope blooms into love. It's where revolution may transform into repentance and reconciliation. It's where the lost, the least, and the lot into the family. It's where we may just encounter the Lord of life, our own hearts leaping in joy. As Advent draws to a close, as we hold our breath and await the Holy One to be born in our lives again, in our joys and in our desperations, I would leave you today with this poem my friend Mary Henry shared, called The Risk of Birth by Madeline Langle. This is no time for a child to be born within the earth, betrayed by war and hate, and a comet slashing the sky to warn. that time runs out and the sun burns late. No time for a child to be born in a land in the crushing grip of Rome. Honor and truth were trampled to scorn. Yet here did the Savior make his home. When is the time for love to be born? The inn is full on the planet Earth. And by a a comet, the sky is torn. Yet love still takes the risk of birth.